1: Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline, keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, you know, every year during the first of January, so often many of us will look to resolutions. We'll promise ourselves everything from trying to get more exercise, to lose weight, to perhaps uh, be more dutiful at being involved in ministry at church, spending more time with our wife, our kids, all of these things which are certain key and important to life. When we think about the big questions about life, one of the big questions perhaps that most of us struggle at one point or another to try to gain an answer to, and that is understanding specifically what God wants of us, through us, and in our lives, essentially trying to understand what is His will for my life. As we enter in this new season of new beginnings here in the typical January, learning how to reach your full potential for God, certainly no stranger to the KFAX listeners. He is the host of In Touch, heard weekday afternoons at 4 p.m. here on KFAX, and pleased to have with us today Dr. Charles Stanley. And Pastor, great to have you on the program.
2: Well, delighted to be with you, Craig.
1: You know, we think about, again, New Year's and new beginnings and resolutions and so forth. I can't imagine any bigger question than most of us can ask ourselves. And maybe it's one that we ask not only at the beginning of of a new year, but at certain key marks in life, be it uh, when we get married, when we retire, when we find a new job, when we perhaps are going to become a parent. And that is struggling to answer this question, learn more about what God wants of us and how to fully reach our potential for god
2: well what he wants above everything else in our life is a personal intimate relationship with himself everything else he can do but that is something we have to yield to with him and when you think about all the ways that he works in our life ultimately that's his will and so he's willing because that's his purpose and his will he's willing to do whatever is necessary in our life to enable us to develop that relationship. And when that relationship is right, everything else is going to get right because the truth is every aspect of our life flows out of and is influenced and impacted by a personal relationship with Him. So when somebody says, well, I don't know the will of God for my life, you can know because if He has a will, He certainly isn't going to keep it a secret. He's willing to show us if we're willing to submit ourselves. And I think a lot of people want to know the will of God in order to consider it not to do it, and God doesn't play those kind
1: of games. You know, and it's interesting, I think about uh, so many of us that as we came to Christ, if uh, perhaps a friend or a loved one uh, shared the gospel message with us, so one of the, the four key steps to salvation, understanding that God has a plan for our life, and of course, that goes beyond simply the relationship and coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and walking in fellowship with Him, but then ultimately into what it is that He wants to do in us and through us, and I found it interesting interesting. In some of your opening remarks to this Thomas Nelson book, Reach Your Full Potential for God, Never Never Settle for Less Than His Best, you talk about the fact that God impressed upon your heart that to understand fully what God wants to do in us and through us, you have to approach this at the get-go with a clean heart, a clear mind, and a balanced schedule. I have to tell you, those three items alone caught my attention.
2: Well, that's the way it is. And I woke up one morning about three o'clock and out of a dead sleep and it's like the lord said do you want to reach your full potential for your life and i said well sure and so i thought didn't know what was going on but i pulled out a pad and a pen i keep by my bed and so as i began to just be quiet and listen the lord just laid out all seven of those points uh to me very clearly and when you think about it i, I thought well now am i sure this is of god and i looked at him again and again and i thought yes because this is the way he thinks First of all, a clean heart and a clear mind. In other words, and a balanced schedule. That is, that he has the proper time that he needs to work in our life. And if my if my heart's not if my heart's not clean, my mind is not going to really be clear, and I'm not going to operate in my life on his schedule. And when I operate on his schedule, we can't do our best, and we won't do our best.
1: So, so much of this really reaching our full potential in the Lord, whatever that might be. And certainly it's different for all of us. God gives and grants to each and every one of us different skills, talents, abilities, and and goals. But in order to fully reach that, we really have to be walking in uh, the fullness of His fellowship then, don't we? This needs to be an intimate kind of relationship with the Lord that can't be something that's just sort of approached uh, casually.
2: Absolutely. And this is why I said in the very beginning, our personal intimate relationship with Him impacts everything. When that's right, I'm going to have a clear mind about his will for my life. I'm going to understand his schedule for my life. I'm going to have right relationships. I'm going to be willing to take risks for him. And things will fall in place. And it doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy, but it means that no matter what I face, I'm going to come through it. I'm going to come through it successfully because in order to do that, you've got to submit yourself to the will of God. And submitting yourself to the will of God isn't always easy, because I think a lot of people are afraid to do that. They think, well, I want to do the will of God, but suppose he asks me to do this, or suppose he asks me to do that. Because he's a God of love, he's only going to require us what is best for us. And my unwillingness to do what he says is because I don't trust him to love me enough to just choose the best.
1: I would imagine in your many, many years in pulpit ministry and as pastor, uh, this question has been brought before you time and time again, this question. Well, Pastor, I just don't understand what is God's will for my life. And I would suspect then that part of this answer for a lot of people that struggle with that is the notion that they're fearful. Well, gee, you know, if I really pursue God, what if God asked me to become a missionary on the foreign mission field or or do something that I don't really feel cut out to do? Does God do things like that? I mean, is he, is he of the character that he's going to surprise us and, and call us to do something that we're neither inclined to do or even equipped to do?
2: There are some things he's going to do that's going to surprise us, all right, but they're coming from the perspective that that God's motivation is judgment and punishment and testing me and trying me when God's motivation is love. Now, if he wants to send somebody to the mission field, that isn't God doing something bad for them. That's God giving them an opportunity. But it always goes back to what is my attitude toward God? Do I see him as a heavenly father who loves me, who has saved me, He wants to show me His will, provide my needs, test me, try me, yes, but all of that to grow me up and become the person He wants me to be. And those periods of testing and trial are for our good.
1: And it's interesting. I've always thought the passage of Scripture where we're reminded that God will give us the desires of our heart, but in another passage that we are encouraged to keep our mind and our heart focused on Him. And so if we put Him first in life— And he is the central. He is uh, our our heart's desire, so to speak, uh, that as he comes to fulfill those desires in the end, this will be something that will not only give glory to his name, but also much delight to us. And I guess in the end, when we talk about determining what he wants for us, and discovering and reaching our full potential for him, uh, in the end becomes not only a delight for the Lord, but a delight unto us as well.
2: And when he says, if we delight ourselves in him, I think most folks don't realize that he must be central in our lives. that if I'm delighting myself in him, then my decisions are going to be based always on this, what's pleasing to God, what is his will in this situation, what would he have me to do? not what do I want to do, and then want to make him fit my plan. But
1: well, what do you say then, Pastor, to the person who says, "But Pastor Stanley, you don't understand. I'm so average. I'm plain. There's nothing really special about me. I, I don't have the ability of, of, of great oratory skills to get on the radio or up in a pulpit and proclaim the Word of God. I, I don't have a degree in anything. I'm, I'm just kind of an average Joe. Um, how could God ever possibly use me?
2: I think many people have asked that question. Probably everybody who's ever accomplished anything has asked that at some point. But the issue is not uh, comparing ourselves with others. We think about what we have and don't have. Then we're comparing ourselves with others. The question is, what has God given me? And what is God able to do with what he has given me? And the truth is, we would say, well, God is, does the impossible. But many people have problems just because they have a poor self-image. Uh, they have... Uh, a poor uh, image of what they're capable of doing. They have lots of fears that they're afraid to fail, they're afraid of what people are going to say, a criticism. And so a lot of that negative thinking is the result of their attitudes that have no real scriptural basis whatsoever. God wants the best, will provide the best. All he's looking for is submission to his will and let him decide what he wants to
1: do with us. And, you know, so much of this comes back down to, I think, one of the central points when we talked earlier about a clean heart, clear mind, and a balanced schedule. That that word balance is so key to this. Uh, Speaking to uh, Jim Dobson uh, on the occasion of his retirement from full-time ministry and looking back over the course of 30 years of ministry with focus on the family, and, of course, the big question, could you ever have imagined in the 1970s when you began with one little radio station down in Southern California? That this ministry would ever grow to the level and potential that it has to become now this international outreach. And of course, the response, you know, if I had known what this would have grown to, I would have been scared to death and too afraid to start it. I think sometimes we need to realize that it's good if we have a sense that we aren't fully capable, that we can't do it in and all of ourselves, because if we felt otherwise, then there would be, in many levels, no sense or no need for God.
2: Absolutely. And I think the Spirit. The spirit of of inadequacy that is based on a true, genuine understanding of who God is and his holiness is always healthy. And once we step out of line with that sense of personal inadequacy... uh, Pride, arrogance, and everything else gets in the way, and we're not going to be able to be used by God. He's not going to use arrogance.
1: Dr. Charles Stanley, my guest on this edition of Lifeline. Reach your full potential for God. Never settle for less than his best. Published by Thomas Nelson. We'll take a brief time out when we come back, learning how to move beyond the settled for life, as our conversation with Dr. Charles Stanley continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: And welcome back to Lifeline, our conversation with Pastor Charles Stanley, host of In Touch Ministries. Of course, the program comes your way each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX, and more information on the web at intouch.org. And it's interesting, Pastor Stanley, I think for so many of us, as we go through certain High water marks in life, and this might be times of uh, perhaps a marriage or a divorce or death of a spouse, a loss of a job or retiring or even becoming a new parent. Uh, these times and occasions when we struggle with the question of what does God want from us. What does he want of us? How can we reach our full potential? And then sometimes I think, unfortunately, we get, we get discouraged, we get bogged down by the challenges and obstacles of life, and we end up settling for less than his very best. How can we, how can we move past that settled-for kind of life?
2: What we have to do, one of the first things is this, and that is to recognize who we are from God's perspective. We are one of his children, created in his image to bring him glory and honor. And he has promised that he will be with us, enable us, encourage us, provide for us, no matter what, in every circumstance. And when I think about how many people can quote Romans eight twenty eight, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who call to go into his purpose, oftentimes people will quote that, but they don't believe it about themselves. Mm. And they are willing to settle for far less because, uh, for a number of reasons, sometimes, as we said, they're fear of failure, sometimes they're just lazy. They're not willing to pay the price. They're not willing to submit themselves to the Lord's way and His will in their life. And so they settle for less than that. Then they become very angry oftentimes or very discouraged and, and always want to blame it on somebody else. We have to take responsibility for our life and recognize that God is very involved in our life and that whatever our needs are, He will supply if we submit to His will and do it His way.
1: I would imagine one of the big um, big obstacles to achieving that sense of, of full potential and enjoying that, that inner drive and that enthusiasm for life and, and what you do in and through the Lord is the roadblock of being unwilling to surrender fully to Him, would you think?
2: Absolutely. I do believe that that is the major issue. And that one willingness to surrender is either selfishness from our part we want our way, or fear of what God may require of us and oftentimes people will head in that direction and then just begin to doubt and they give up and just say well I can't do it or who am I as we said a few moments ago what can I do what has God done for me and every person has gifts every person has talents and abilities some people are willing to employ them and take the risk of failure or criticism and some people are just not willing to do
1: it. We talked a moment ago about some of those important life junctures, uh, and I think perhaps there are some of those high watermark points in life when it's it's always healthy to um, sort of take account of where we're at, not only in our relationship with Christ, our relationship with our children, our spouse, and to make sure that we're indeed on track for for the plan that He has for us. You know, we're told in Scripture that, that He's begun a good work in us, that He will complete that through our days. But I, I think it's important, perhaps, as we hit some of those important timelines in life, whether we're we're beginning out in a new marriage, maybe we've just gone through uh, pain of divorce, through no fault of our own, and now we're struggling with that. Maybe we've lost a spouse. Is it important, Pastor Stanley, at those moments to sit down and kind of take a fresh account of not only where we're at in our relationship with him, but also to not only make sure we're on track for what he wants for us and wants to do through us, but also maybe to ask the question, maybe God wants to take us in a, a different direction with new goals at those junctures?
2: I think you're absolutely correct. And because there are situations and circumstances where we have to make changes, we have to make changes about the way we think changes about our schedule, changes, for example, about what we think is his will and purpose and plan for our life. And those times are very, very important because so often a person's life takes a turn uh, for the good or maybe not for the good as a result of maybe just ignoring the seriousness of the situation and leaving God out, making decisions on the basis of what seems to be right or wrong and what's the easiest way out. Very important, not only in critical junk just like that, but the truth is every day when we awaken in the morning, we ought to be saying, now, Lord, show me your will for my life today. Make me sensitive about the people I meet. Help me to be perceptive about the things that are going on around me and show me your will for this day step by step. And when we're willing to do that, he's there. He's there to enable us, no matter what we're going through.
1: And then finally, I'm wondering, Pastor Stanley, about measurement of performance. You know, many of us in the workplace, uh, we will have semi-annual or annual meetings with our immediate supervisor who will take a look at things like uh, our attendance record, how we interact with fellow employees, deal with customers and clients and things of this sort, and then help evaluate us. And we'll note the areas where we are excelling or or achieving our goals and outstanding performance, uh, areas where maybe we're just satisfactory, other areas where perhaps our performance is unsatisfactory. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're really hitting the mark when it comes to serving God and achieving the goals and plans that He has for our life. I think so often many of us will try to compare where we're at against other people and say, well, gee, you know, I'm, I'm just a pastor of a small church, and I only have 75 members in my congregation, so God must be dissatisfied with me because, gee, the pastor up the block has got 800 members. How do we go about ascertaining whether or not we're actually on track for what God God's will is for our life.:
2: First of all, is my heart clean? Am I thinking scripture? Am I thinking clearly? What about my schedule? What how am I spending my time? And am I using it wisely? or am I wasting time? What about my relationships? How very important they are in my life? And as a person goes down each one of these, uh, it gives them a time to think through where they are in life. And I think this has to happen many, many times in life, not just at the critical junctures, but I can think in my own life, oftentimes, right like before God has uh, given me some instruction about something uh, that to make a change, thats I, I would have this feeling, I just need to give some time to the Lord and get in His Word and be quiet mm-hmm. and say, Lord, I want you to examine my heart. I want you to show me if there's some area here that you want to change. And if there is an area of change, and most of the time there is something going on, then he's going to show us what it is and he's not going to show us judgmentally but he's going to show us to encourage us and to remind us that the change that needs to take place he will enable us to do it. In that way, we keep progressing in life no matter what.
1: And, and it strikes me that it takes us back full circle to one of those key points that you talked about in the beginning of our conversation, uh, this sense of a clean heart, a clean mind, a balanced schedule, and the willingness to surrender. You know, sometimes we'll go before the Lord at one of these critical junctures, or just when it's time to to sort of refresh and renew and and check in with God, so to speak, to make sure that we're on track. The willingness to say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm going to seek your face and your answers for where I'm headed next. And I might have some thoughts and desires in my own heart to understand that I need to surrender even that. And sometimes if we, if we say before the Lord, gee, God, will you do this for me or take me in this direction, that if God gives you a no answer, that that's still an answer.
2: That's exactly right, because His no answers, our answers are answers for our protection and for our guidance, and for our good. those are not always bad.
1: Again, reach your full potential for God, never settle for less than his best, by Thomas Nelson. And the book, again, available at bookstores. In Touch with Pastor Charles Stanley each weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. here on KFAX. And more information about both the book and Pastor Stanley's ministry on the web at intouch.org.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: You know, you look at the headline news of the last, my goodness, six, eight months or so, and it just seems like no matter where you turn, we're seeing incidences of racial unrest, massacres in churches, economic imbalance, social strife, on and on the list goes. Hard sometimes, perhaps, to see hope and justice and reconciliation in the midst of this turmoil. A lot of people, I think, have concluded that we're, if not in, we're certainly rapidly heading toward the end days. And meanwhile, we wonder, well, what does that mean for us from a faith perspective? How can we better find places in which not only God is working to bring about healing and restoration, but most importantly, feel as if the work, the job that we do is significant toward that end? Warren Smith joins us now, vice president of World News Group, and perhaps you are a subscriber to his wildly popular World Magazine. He's authored more than 10 best-selling books, including the most recent, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And Warren, great to have you on the program.
3: Great, great to be on with you. Thank you so
1: much. It is hard sometimes not to be discouraged. And just as we sort of uh, reach the point that we seemingly have processed the significance of yet another major negative news event, uh, sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, here comes one more and I think for a lot of people, not only do you kind of get a sense that your, your your hope meter is is wearing out in all of this, but that you're you're wondering well where exactly is God in all of this, and and is there any hope in which I can play some kind of small role in engaging in some kind of significant important change in our society today?
3: Well, you're exactly right, Craig. And, you know, it, it, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines. That's exactly right to see um, bad news. I mean, the Supreme Court rulings have been really discouraging to a lot of Christians. Uh, we see ISIS uh, just murdering Christians all over the Middle East. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason uh, to, um, to say uh, that we live in serious times. But, uh, we, uh, as Christians are not allowed to despair. Despair is a sin. Uh, despair means we've given up hope. And of course, Christians of all people should be people of hope. Uh, faith, hope, and love, Jesus, uh, or, or uh, uh, the Bible says, not Jesus per se, but the Bible says or the good, the three chief Christian virtues. And so that's one of the reasons why John Stone Street and I uh, wanted to write this book, Restoring All Things, because as we have been looking out at the world at all these negative uh, stories, we've also been been seeing something just quite remarkable, and that has been God's people doing God's work in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And when God's people do that, when God's people it, just don't get distracted and continue to engage in God's work, which is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and strength, loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's amazing what's happening. We've seen communities transformed. We've seen lives rebuilt. We've seen entire cities uh, transformed. It's, it's in the case of Atlanta or Detroit. Um, uh, Atlanta, an organization called SCS Urban Ministries, and in Detroit, a ministry called Emmanuel Temple, which are two organizations that we profile and restore in restoring all things. So we wanted to tell some of those stories because we felt like Christians did need some hope. In the midst of these chaotic
1: times. So, at the end of the day, is it less about the news events and more about perspective? And I, and I asked that question because, again, you know, we were kids. Uh, we all were raised in school to uh, to master the three basic r s reading, writing, and arithmetic. Something always told me that one of those words at least was misspelled <laughs> right. but from from a from a christian perspective there 's another set of three r s that I think we can 't forget that in fact is foundational to our very faith, which is what leads me to this question about perspective, and that is another set of three r s Redemption, reconciliation, and restoration, which is foundational to God's plan for not only mankind here on Earth, but certainly the role that that uh, that Christ played in world history.
3: Yeah, well, that that's exactly right. You know, in fact, I'm glad you brought up those three R's because there are, in fact many more than those three R's in Scripture. We, in fact, we begin, near the beginning of the book, we talk about the rewords of Scripture, and you've mentioned three of them uh, there. Uh, too often, however, Christians focus on another set of R's, which are words like rebuke and resist and uh, engage in those activities that um, are trying to hold back the tide of chaos. Whereas uh, I think if we focus more on the three R's that you mentioned—R's like reconciliation and restoration and redemption—we uh, we become people who um, not only are actively engaged in the work that God is calling us to do, this this activity of of restoring all things to Himself, but we are also presenting a witness to the world that I think they will find compelling. You know, it's it's one thing. Um, to say that Jesus saves, and Jesus uh, transforms, and Jesus redeems. But if our lives don't show that, Craig, it's that argument is not convincing. That declaration of the gospel, however true, is not convincing. But whenever we are actively engaged in the process of reconciliation, not only are we declaring the gospel, but we are demonstrating the gospel in our lives, and I think that's a much more convincing proclamation of the gospel.
1: Well, in many respects, too, don't we find that message uh, far more impactful in the middle of chaos? And, and I ask that question because, you know, let, let's use the example of the lives of any of us. If we pause for a moment and think, you know, if if you were doing well, you married the perfect wife or husband, you had the perfect job, you had the perfect amount of money in the bank, you had perfect health, uh, all of it... A lot of people could argue. Well, you know, for what do I really need God here, at least on Earth? I mean, yeah, that fire insurance thing on the other side, yeah, that works out okay. But here, in the here and now, I'm doing pretty well. But for most of us, our testimony is that in the midst of the pain, the agony, the chaos, when our life seemed to be falling apart uh, right before our eyes, there stepped in God with a message of healing and reconciliation and redemption. And so oftentimes, doesn't God work best in the middle of the chaos that sometimes we as Christians try to push back against and prevent from happening? And I wonder if sometimes we might accidentally be short circuiting God's plan because in the midst of that chaos, doesn't His does grace shine the brightest?
3: Well, I, all I can say to that, Craig, is amen and well said. Uh, you know, and in, in, in throughout history, I think not only in our own individual lives, which you've just identified, but throughout history, we have found the Christian church thriving whenever the world around it was in chaos. We tell stories, for example, uh, from the second and third century, whenever the great plagues um, uh, diseases were just just ravaging cities, and people were running out of the cities uh, into the rural areas just to keep themselves away from danger and disease, but it was the Christians who ran into the cities to care for the sick and the dying, many times sacrificing their own lives in that process. But it was such a powerful witness that we saw Christianity spread dramatically in the second and third centuries. Uh, even recently in the Ebola epidemic that we saw in Africa, uh, I was amazed at the doctors that, were, that um, got Ebola and that were put into the quarantine and a couple of them even died as a result of their work there. And whenever I found out about their biographies, one doctor after another, one healthcare worker after another were committed Christians working in that environment because they were motivated by the love of Christ, and love for their neighbor. So this has been the story of the Christian church. I think it's a story that we sometimes do tend to forget in our prosperity here in America, but uh, it's one that we need to remember.
1: Well, especially since at the core, if we talk about this from the, the viewpoint of it being a message of redemption, it suggests that there needs to be something from which one is being redeemed, does it not? Yeah. I mean, yeah, is absolutely. is the is the message of heaven all that powerful? A one uh, absence the existence of hell. I, I would I would suggest probably not.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the great theologian F. F. Bruce Bruce once said that uh, the, an, an understanding of sin is the beginning of salvation, and uh, you know it's important that we do uh, understand that we're all sinners in need of a savior, and it's it's. Awful, also easy for us Christians to get a little self-righteous about where we sit versus our neighbor. But you know, our neighbor, Jesus died for our neighbors, even the one, the neighbor that we don't like, you know, just as much as Jesus died for us. So I think that, um, you know, what you just said there is such a powerful component of this whole uh, understanding of a Christian worldview, which is that we do live in a fallen world, but that God loves us so much that he sent his son and when we accept Him as Savior and are redeemed from our own sins, we get to participate with Him in this process that the, the New Testament describes as restoring all things uh, to its former glory.
1: No, I, I wonder out loud if sometimes maybe this is not a, an example of a spiritual laziness, maybe even a little bit of spiritual haughtiness, um, that sense of reveling in the bunker mentality that, well, everybody's against me, woe is me, look the way that they're attacking me. And so uh, we're doing uh, perhaps a yeoman's job at playing the victim here. Um, and so maybe some people sort of revel in all of that, as opposed to saying, look, in the midst of all this turmoil, we've got some work to do. And uh, in the midst of this turmoil... God can do some amazing things in terms of extending that message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in and through me. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Warren Smith, vice president of World News Group, publisher of World Magazine, author of more than a dozen best-selling books. We're talking about uh, finding God's redemption in the midst of a chaotic world. A brief timeout, back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Warren Smith, our guest today, vice president of World News Group. He publishes World Magazine. He's the author of more than 10 best-selling books, including the most newly released, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And maybe one of the big operative words in that book title, Warren, is everyday people. We look, as we intimated at the beginning of our conversation, at the headlines and what's going on in terms of racial unrest economic imbalance social strife all of this taking place it's it's hard obviously uh, and frustrating for a lot of people and then to maybe overwhelming in the sense that people feel as if well you know they'd like to be involved in being an agent of change and and affecting god's plan for uh, redemption reconciliation and restoration but maybe they feel like well as overwhelming as all this is though isn't my work largely going to be for naught and, and and ultimately insignificant
3: well, you know, it's a really great question, and that's why we wanted to tell stories of everyday people, as you said, uh, Craig. You know, uh, John Stone Street, uh, my co-author, uh, works a lot with Eric Metaxas uh, on the Breakpoint Radio uh, program. Eric has written books, uh, uh, biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade uh, in Britain in the 19th century. And it's easy to look at these great heroes of history and say— gee, I'm just little old Warren Smith. You know, I'm not uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or, or um, Eric McAxis, even. Uh, so what can I do? And what we discovered in in our searching around for stories and the stories that we reported in the book uh, were stories of of individuals not doing great things, but doing small but really important things that had an impact over time. I'll give you a real quick example. And that is, look at the life movement in this country, the pro-life movement in this country. Um, Roe v. Wade happened in 1973, 1.3, 1.4 million abortions in this country per year at the peak, back a number of years ago. But what we, what has turned the tide, if you, today, abortions, the number of abortions are going down. The younger generation is more pro-life than its parents. That's what public opinion surveys tell us. How did that happen? And and a part of the reason uh, it happened was because of the pregnancy care center movement in this country. In thousands of communities all across America, uh, men and women have gotten together just to help other men and women in their local communities. Uh, This movement has sprung up spontaneously. It wasn't Uh, a top-down movement. There wasn't somebody in Washington, D.C. or New York City or wherever saying, we we need to go... Uh, form 2,000 pregnancy care centers all across America. And yet when we look, you know, 20 or 25 years after that movement started, that's exactly what we, what we have. It's, it's Christians imitating other Christians doing good work, which has caused the pregnancy care center movement to spread across this country and has created what we like to call this army of compassion that, that says to the world, you know, Christians are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Yes, they they are engaged in pro-life activism. They are in, maybe engaged even in protests from time to time, but that's not all they do. They are also really caring uh, for men and women in crisis situations every single day in thousands of communities across America. It's made a huge difference in the life uh, issue in this country, and I think— that kind of a movement could make a difference with poverty. It could make a difference with marriage. Uh, and uh, we, the good news is we do have that one model. Uh, the other news, I won't call it bad news, but I'll call it the other news, is that we still have a whole lot of work to do.
1: Well, you know what strikes me about even that example that you just shared, Warren, um, many people have often heard the story that from space, one of the more spectacular man-made um, edifices or, or uh, items that can be seen from space is the Great Wall of China. And and it is from photographs that perhaps you've seen, an amazing sight to behold from so many miles up. And there you can very clearly make out the wall, snaking its way uh, through that section of China. What's ironic about this, uh, that is, having seen the wall, been on it, walked on it, uh, it it is enormous, it is breathtaking, it is an incredible uh, work of of feat to be sure. But you know what it's made up of? Individual small bricks. Yep. Any one of those bricks, by and of themselves, would not even be a speck on planet Earth that could be identified from space. But all of those bricks assembled together creates this incredible edifice that has such an Im- impact that it can be seen from space and it, and it 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 dawns on me Warren that much the same is true of our efforts here that you know none of us singularly are going to calm racial unrest or uh you know bring about uh, fairness in in economics or uh settle social strife of an, uh, singularly on our own but together doing a lot of small things together can really equal doing something great and tremendous that can have unbelievably large and eternal impact can it
3: Well, that's exactly right and you know the thing that we do doesn't even have to require a lot of time money and energy at the end of restoring all things both john stone street and i tell a story out of our own lives to kind of make the point of the book john tells a remarkable story of when he was a high in high school uh, uh, he uh, had it, it really because he'd been cutting up in school. His teacher made him visit an older woman, a sh- what we used to call a shut-in, uh, to, and uh, as punishment for, for cutting up in class. But so John visited this woman who, at that time, was in uh, probably seemed ancient to John was in her 70s or even early 80s, and they just spent 30 minutes together, maybe an hour together. And John saw this woman a couple of years later, and and John said, Do you remember who I am? And the woman said, I have been praying for you every day since we first met. And that just, the woman's praying for him and then telling John that she had been doing that, that she cared enough about him to pray for him every day. John will tell you today that that changed the trajectory of his life. In my own life, I've got a story of my father who served in Korea. He was not a Christian believer whenever he was a 21-year-old infantryman on Heartbreak Ridge in Korea. But a Salvation Army worker whose name my father does not know, whose name is completely lost to history, I ministered to my father at a time of great need in his life. My father didn't become a Christian until 10 or 15 years later. But he always remembers the the act of compassion by this unnamed Salvation Army worker has been been a defining experience in his life in leading him ultimately to Christ, which, of course, changed the trajectory of my life and my children's lives. We don't know how God is going to use our availability. Uh, It's not about our ability, as the old saying goes, but it truly is about our availability, our job, our goal. Our responsibility is just to be obedient and to let the Holy Spirit work from there. And I I think that uh, great things will happen. In the Absolutely.
1: World of and, of course, through that act of obedience, Warren, can come uh, God executing on his plan for redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. Warren Smith, again, the book is called... Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. Newly released by Baker Books and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and also through their website at restoringallthings.org. That's restoringallthings.org. And our thanks to Warren Smith for being with us on this segment of Lifeline.